Hi folks, it's your host W. Curtis Preston and I wanted to give you some great news. Druva liked my latest O'Reilly book enough to sponsor it and you can get a free copy by just going to druva.com slash podcast. Hope you like it. On this episode of No Hardware Required, we'll be talking about the second anniversary of GDPR. My guest this week will be Stephen Manley, our chief technologist. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Druva's No Hardware Required podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. With me this week is someone who's been in the industry as long as I have, but spent most of his time on the vendor side of things, where I spent most of my time on the end user side of things. Welcome to the podcast, our chief technologist, Stephen Manley. We're coming up on the annual anniversary of the General Data Protection Regulation, aka GDPR. Are you super excited for our anniversary? <laughs> you know, this is, uh, there, there's a lot of anniversaries I plan for, uh, certainly wedding anniversary, you know, the anniversary of the first time I sprained my ankle. This is, this is right up there though. <laughs> this is it's interesting. My father got married on his birthday so that he would never forget his anniversary. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. It's the end of May. Uh, we got our second anniversary of GDPR. And it's interesting, if you if you go back, say, four years to a time before we were, they might have started talking about the GDPR, sort of the, the impetus for it at that point. But in terms of going over on this side of the pond, we really didn't hear a lot about what they think of when they think of data privacy with regards to the GDPR. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think uh, certainly it's been very recent here in the United States that, that privacy was outside of a, a handful of, of advocates. I, I think it hasn't been part of the general perception of most people. And I think GDPR caught a lot of people here by surprise. I think both on the, the corporate side as well as the individual side that these things were even options. Right. The only sort of personal data protection that we really had in the U.S. was the what we call PII, right? The personally identifiable information, your your name, address, and social security number, and your birth date, because that could be used to start a you know a credit card in your name or something like that. And maybe that would be protected, but not your, you know, say your gender or your preferences, you know, what websites you visit, all, all those sorts of things. It certainly was not a very common topic that we talked about very much. Would does that sound about right? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, again, it, I, I think the other area that, that you did see people talking, certainly there was PII, there was also PHI, right? Things like HIPAA, HIPAA high tech. Right, right. There was certainly concern about people's medical records leaking and, and some unfortunately high profile cases where that happened. But yeah, I'd say outside of, and again, I think of organizations like the EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, I think outside of that, again, privacy awareness and the amount of data that was being gathered about people, I think most most individuals didn't realize how pervasive and how comprehensive some of that was. And I think perhaps had they really realized this, say, 10 years ago, <laughs> before it happened, if they realized, if they, if they could have seen the future and seen what Google would become and what Facebook would become, and that they would build entire businesses around collecting that data, and then serving up that data in various ways, not necessarily selling it directly. In fact, almost never selling it directly, but 
advertising revenue and things like that so that they could deliver super targeted advertising directed at you. I think if, 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 if they really thought about that, I'm not sure if the, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world would have taken off to the degree that they have. That's interesting. I, I, I wonder. I actually think that even if people had known, I don't know if it would have changed behavior that significantly because I, I think, again, in, in different cultures, different, you know, different behavior patterns, different ages, uh, and certainly, I, you know, I talk to my kids about where they are on social media and what they reveal, and the answer is, yeah, yeah, we understand that. But when it comes down to it, if there's some free offer, some free thing you can get from from a vendor by giving up your personal information, mm. they do it every single time, unless I'm watching. And 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 I, and I think there's just this this and there's always this tension, always this trade off between convenience and simplicity versus privacy. And I think a a percentage of the population cares quite a bit about privacy. But I think that percentage is, is maybe quite a bit smaller than what we think about outside of, say, things like personal health information, where people do get, I, I think, justifiably very, very sensitive. Honestly, I, I don't know if I agree with myself now based on what, <laughs> based on what you just said. I, I think you're probably right, right? I think the thing that the GDPR really brought to the table was this fundamental concept that the decision on whether or not that data should be allowed to be kept, you know, stored, processed, and and used, that you own that data and that it should be your decision whether or not to surrender it and that you should be asked that each new time that they're going to collect uh, a new set of data. I, I think that's a big chunk of it. I, I think the other one that I see a lot of I think a growing interest in, which is interesting, is is that 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 right to know piece, um, where I may not even ever push that button that says no, I, I don't want you to track it, or I'm, but but it's the what do you know about me? And and I I know, you know reading reading in a lot of places and talking to customers, the number of requests in in certain areas for you know sort of right to know uh, have, have really spiked in in certain environments. Uh, and and you know those requests are are actually, uh, I think the average I saw somewhere I think Gartner had a report said the average can can go up to like fourteen hundred dollars a request. Uh, that includes people's time and 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 a bunch of other components that go with it. But there are organizations that deal with anywhere from thousands to millions of those of those right to know requests these days because. People are curious, and 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 by the way, it's not always even external people. Sometimes it's internal employees. They they want to know what their company knows about them, because right. you know, again, they're not necessarily ready to say I'm uncomfortable with this, but they want to know so they can decide whether they're comfortable. Right. I yeah. I, I think that's a natural um, sort of outcome from this idea that. You, you get to make the decision on who has your data. So one of the things is assuming that you gave that permission and they're storing this data after some period of time, the ability for you to go back and then request that data that they said they were storing, I, I think that's fundamental. And then the, the next step past that is for you to look at that and then say, holy cow, I had no idea you were keeping this level of detail on me. You know what? And also, by the way, I, I'm no longer using your website anyway. So please delete all of my information. 
the, the right to be forgotten the, was the unofficial term for that. Right. I, I think that's, that is, um, you know, unless you have a valid business reason to keep that data, the, the, the legal requirement that you have to get rid of it is, is definitely something relatively new. And, and so, I mean, that, that, that then leads to that next question of, all right, so I've got this right of access, that, that right to know. Um, so now we're, we're living in a world of, of COVID, right? And yeah, pretty much everything I see on Twitter these days is there should be testing. And then uh, you know, everyone else is also talking about contact tracing. And so you know, that implies a lot of information about you potentially in a lot of places. And so I guess you know, as, as someone who, who probably wants to uh, get out of lockdown as much as the rest of us do, where do you, where do you land on that trade-off? How, how, how do you, how do you envision that? Yeah. Well, me personally, again, this is my decision for my data. Uh, I, I do tend to fall on the more trusting side than maybe I should have. And I would be one who would be okay with a, a contact tracing app being on my phone if that allowed me more freedom, if that allowed me to, to lead a more normal life. And then if, if they found out that I was in the same place as someone else and I could isolate, I would be okay with that. And I would be okay with offering it in such a way that, well, if you install this on your phone then here are the things that you're allowed to do that you're not allowed to do if you don't have it on your phone. And so to give people incentive to install it, uh, I, I don't think, at least in this society, being American society, I don't think legally mandating it the way that they have in India, I don't think that that would fly here. hundred percent agree with you on that, given the reaction <laughs> just to the, you shouldn't leave your house and, and, and and people not reacting well to that, I I, I think that, right, right. that's definitely true, and 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 also I I mean I I look at things like you know what kind of requirements, what kind of device do you need, uh, you know I mean everybody's different, but for example my my father still has a flip phone. I'm, I'm not sure we can install a contact tracing app <laughs> on 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 that uh that 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 particular device either, and so. What does that mean for someone like him? I, I guess I skew the other way than you. I really worry uh, about, and unless I really knew, uh, again, that there was, again, a very clean setup where I could know exactly when that data is going to be forgotten, you know, uh, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it's going to be, and that I can validate, verify, again, get these right of access requests and have it somehow independently audited so that I know that I'm not just getting back sort of the, yeah, we deleted that, but that it's actually legitimately deleted because I just, you know, the moment someone's tracking every step I'm taking, and I know I carry a phone, so it probably means someone's already tracking me anyway, but just the explicit behavior of that really, it, it doesn't sit well with me. Uh, and, and boy, I really do want to leave the house. I'm just not sure I'm ready for that yet. There's no good answer. I, like almost everything else with COVID-19, there's no good answer. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back to GDPR, right? So so here's a question. So we, we started out saying that if we went back four or five years, just collectively, we weren't talking about the privacy of our own personal information to the degree that we are today, right? So you and I both live in California and we have the California Consumer Privacy Act, which is absolutely a straight up copy of the GDPR 
you know, I, I would say copy and somewhat of enhancement, somewhat of a whatever the opposite of enhancement is, right? There are definitely changes right. to the GDPR, but it is straight up a copy of the GDPR. So we've gone from a we're never talking about it to we almost have a de facto GDPR in the US because it, the requirement is if you do business with a resident of California, then you have to uh, comply with the CC, CCPA. I look at that as at least one level of a really good success of the GDPR that they have gone from, they have, they have brought us from not really talking about people's private data or the privacy of their data almost at all to it's a very regular conversation and it's leaked into the collective consciousness to the point that in a country like the US where we tend sometimes to give preference a little bit more to the business and you know what that's going to do to a business um, we even got a, a law passed to the degree that that it's similar to the GDPR. So to me, that I think the GDPR has been pretty successful if you look at it like that. I, I 100% agree. And, and 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 by the way, I think I think the success isn't just in the awareness uh, from from a consumer perspective too. I, I do see companies investing in trying to to come up with. I think reasonable solutions to GDPR, CCPA, these sorts of things, um, you know, automation, uh, API-driven uh, approaches, um, and 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 I talked to quite a few of them that are actually thinking this all the way through. Right? They actually sort of, you know, they map it out and and they track and they say, okay, well, you know, personal information about people is held in you know, X, Y, and Z internally. Plus we've got these two or three, let's say SaaS applications. And so we know we're storing people's information there. And, you know, we've got a process by which we take care of what happens internally. Plus, you know, we have a mechanism by which we work with the external vendors and we can, we can manage all of this. And so I think in the past couple of years, we've evolved from what felt like really ad hoc, let's just get something done, check the box solutions to, I think organizations taking it pretty seriously and trying to build real solutions around it. And, and, and that to me is as much a win as the fact, and it's probably because people care, but, but I, I see people really starting to make this kind of part of their, their IT infrastructure, their, their data management infrastructure, if you will. And, and I think that's, again, just a, a sign of, of, yeah, kind of maturity in how we're handling our data these days. So another interesting area about the GDPR has been the number of fines that have come out. You know, I'm, I'm looking at, there's a website, uh, privacyaffairs.com, that tracks all the GDPR fines. And I was looking at them, you know, the most recent ones uh, on there are from March. Apparently, they haven't fined anybody. Uh, yeah, it's been a little, <laughs> since, a little tough lately. Been a little, been a little busy lately. But I was looking at the the top five uh, GDPR fines, uh, the biggest one being Google. But what I was trying to do, and, and I still haven't done, but what I was trying to do is figure out the ratio. I'm curious. I'd like to run some numbers to see which is the biggest fine from a percentage of revenue standpoint. These fines look huge, like 50 million euro. But when you look at the fact that Google makes $160 billion a year, 50 million euro is really not much from a percentage standpoint. Yeah, I, I think you want to, you know, maybe look at it in two ways, though. I think the first is there's going to be the behemoths, uh, the Facebooks, the 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 Googles, etc. That 
frankly, it's it's going to be really hard to find them into any sort of behavior pattern. Uh, but then I think when you get to you know sort of more more regular sized businesses, I, I think I think there's there's sort of a double effect uh, with 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 the GDPR. First is you don't want to get fined, right? Uh, getting fined is never fun. You you lose money, and and it can be a, a non trivial percentage of your revenue. But I think the second one is it then becomes a competitive disadvantage. You know, your competitors use this to to basically say, look, they they're not holding trust with with you, the consumer. And is that someone you really want to do business with? And again, right. some customers that say, well, I don't care either way. But I think in a lot of cases, given a choice between company A that has not violated GP, GDPR and company B uh, that has, they'll they'll go with they'll go with the company that's that's proven to to you know sort of maintain their privacy. And so I, I see a lot of I see a lot of organizations not ever wanting to get that first fine because that first right. fine, you know, basically sets them on a different mental model, a different perception with their customers, and they don't want to deal with that. And nor should they. I'll give you my example of the most frustrating place where my personal data is stored, where it's not being taken care of very well, and I have zero control over that. You know what that is? Credit reporting agencies. Oh. It was Equifax, right? With the yeah. giant yeah. data breach. And it was found that they just really did a really poor job of uh, data security. And the thing that's really, really annoying is that I never consented to them storing my very personal information. And I have zero ability to delete that data out of their database because they have a legal reason to keep it. It's a really weird scenario because it's not like I, I'm not a customer of theirs. They have governmental permission to store that level of data on me. And, and that data leaked out. It's actually happened three times to me. I, they're, you know, really important PII. So, uh, so I remember like the veterans organization, um, you know, I've been customer of, of other organizations where all of the things that you need to impersonate me on a, on a credit application have leaked out from at least three companies, one of which is Equifax. And that's, that's, just very frustrating that they have the ability to hold on to my data like that. And not to tie back to the to, to the COVID piece, but it is then interesting to me, right, that that you feel that frustration. But now, and yes, all right, let's say you opt into the tracing app, but let, let's, let's dump, <laughs> you know, and you're saying they can have your data, but for how long and fine. Uh, but then the, right. the, the, the second area that starts to get interesting is, okay, there. To, to get into work, to, to go through an airport. At some point, we're probably going to have things like temperature sensors everywhere, right? There's going to have to be yes. some mechanism. And again, that data is going to get recorded somewhere. And are we implicitly saying that we're okay with people, you know, sort of grabbing it and storing it because I'm walking through the door of a building? Again, th these sorts of discussions start to make me feel very uncomfortable. Um, and 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 like I said, the heart of all of this, if, if I'm ever going to feel comfortable with it is... I want to be able to. I want to be able to know that I can search across the data people have on me, so that I can figure out who's got what, and then decide decide for myself how comfortable I am. And and so I think I think that's going to be a big part of what comes out of all of this. Is you know people are already accustomed to I can Google everything about anything I want in the world. Well, I want to be able to Google about me, not 
you know, the way I Google about right. you now, where I, I find, you know, the blogs I've written and sort of hang my head in shame, but, but really, <laughs> you know, Google about me in the sense of what, what does the world know about me? You just gave me a whole other list of things to be worried and scared and depressed about. So thanks, Stephen. Well, this is what we do in the backup world, right? You know, backup security. I mean, that's why we, uh, we get invited to all the cool parties. <laughs> absolutely well thanks for taking the time to chat with me this week and uh thanks to everybody else for listening and remember here at druva there is always no hardware required